Welcome to the brand new series of Grazia Life Advice. I'm Rhiannon Evans and this is the series where every episode we speak to a woman worth listening to. We get the six best pieces of advice they've ever been given and want to share with others. And we also get right at the end one life tip they regret ever listening to. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started for 2021, as well as switching up our intro music, we are putting out episodes every fortnight. So every two weeks for the whole of this year, look out for new life advice episodes right here in your podcast feed. We have with us for this first episode of 2021, the debut author of one of the year's most eagerly anticipated books. Hi, I'm Ashley Audrain and my debut novel is The Push. It's been praised for its gripping plot and its exploration of motherhood and all the dark places it can take you. Maybe the most sort of important thing the book is about is really, you know, making space for women's truths, listening to women's experiences, whether or not they are convenient for us, and sort of the repercussions of what can happen when we don't. We'll talk about the book. It's been widely praised for its gripping plot and its dark exploration of motherhood. But Ashley is also a mum of two herself and started working on the push while also caring for a six-month-old child. I really decided that was the time that I was going to make dedicated time for writing. I did it because I had to show myself and also my partner that writing was an important part of who I was. And she shares a really beautiful metaphor that could help anyone coming to terms with complications around the birth of a child. Our son's doctor gave us the most wonderful analogy when he was in the, in the hospital. And she said to us, you know, most children are dandelions. Without any attention, they're going to they're going to grow, they're going to do well. But your son is an orchid. He will thrive, but he will thrive with special care. I thought there was just so much beauty in that mm. visual of him being an orchid and not trying to compare him to the dandelions, yeah. you know, the, the other children. And here she is, Ashley Audrain. Hi, Ashley. Great to speak to you. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you. And we're here to talk about your debut novel, The Push, which I've read and absolutely loved. But if people haven't picked it up yet, it came out last week. Tell us what the book is about. It's difficult, I know. <laughs> no, sure. Um, so the book is about Blythe Connor, and she is a woman who has come from a history of women who have really struggled greatly with motherhood. And she's determined that she's going to be, you know, the very warm, present, really engaging mother that she never had. So she and her husband welcome a baby, Violet. And, you know, at first she sort of has the kind of experience of new motherhood that many of us can relate to of kind of trying to figure it out and having sleepless nights. But very quickly she realizes that there is something wrong with Violet. She's different than the other babies. She's aloof and, you know, resists affection and she's, you know, becomes quite angry as she gets a bit older. And then once she's in preschool, Blythe starts to notice that she, you know, behaves quite maliciously towards other children. And the problem, of course, is that her husband can't see what she sees in their daughter. And he thinks this is very much, you know, a result of maternal anxiety she has carried for so long and that this is all in her mind. Um, and so they do sort of try to move on and have another baby, um, Sam. And um, in Sam, she finds that kind of, you know, connection that she'd always hoped for, that really maternal connection that she had wanted um, until something goes horribly wrong in the family and they're sort of forced to face, you know, who their daughter is and who Blythe really is, what has happened, and the family unravels from there as you know <laughs> yeah and like yeah. that's essentially the plot of the novel isn't it but it's about motherhood about women not being listened to 
about legacy. There's loads in there. Yeah, I think it is a book about really the expectations of motherhood, um, you know, that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us. But as you said, you know, it, it really takes a look at kind of the history we come from and what we carry forward from the women that we come from. And I think a big part of the book is, you know, that debate between nature and nurture and, you know, how, how we are taught to mother, um, you know, how we how our mothering influences our children, but also just what is in our genes. And so, yeah, I think that that is a big part of the book. And I think within that context, it sort of asks the question, you know, what do we owe our children? You know, and I, and I think maybe the most sort of important thing the book is about is really, you know, making space for women's truths, listening to women's experiences, whether or not they are convenient for us, <laughs> and sort of the repercussions of what can happen when we don't. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a perfect book club group book if you just started a book club as your kind of new year's resolution it's perfect because it's it's quick to read it's gripping but yeah there's so much to talk about and you'll want to talk about it I think the minute you finish it won't you you'll want to discuss what you think has happened (laughs) oh thank you I hope so I hope it's that kind of book I mean it's I've heard from earlier you know from readers who I'm so grateful to hear that it's keeping them up at night (laughs) as much as I don't want anybody to lose sleep (laughs) sleep is precious but it is that I I love as a reader having that experience of not wanting to put the book down truly Mm -hmm. you know and really staying up you know far past bedtime to get to the end and so there's just such pleasure in that as you know a reader and so I hope that uh yeah that people are having that experience with it yeah absolutely right let's move on to your pieces of advice and I was saying you've been very thorough we've got some really great advice here so let's start off with your first piece of advice sure um so my first piece of advice is that only you can decide how important something is in your life In my case, this was writing. I started writing this book when my son was six months old. Um, I had always wanted to write my whole life and had, you know, done night courses here and there and kind of, you know, tried my hand at a few kind of starts of novels and that sort of thing, but was really tied up in my day job. I was in public relations and then worked in publicity and publishing. And so I had sort of always made that a priority over writing. And yeah, as I said, it wasn't until I had my son and I I realized I wasn't going to go back to work and I thought... I don't, there was something about kind of confronting sort of your identity when you become a mother that I sort I definitely went through that. I don't know if you found that too, but so I really decided that was the time that I was going to make dedicated time for writing. And I did it because I had to show myself and also my partner that writing was an important part of who I was. And if I was not, if I was not going to learn to protect that time, you know, nobody else was going to do that for me, <laughs> certainly. And so that sort of looked like, um, babysitting hours, devoting, you know, money to having somebody help with childcare for two hours so that I could go to the cafe to write, canceling plans or social plans or things I could have been doing with my time. So protecting time for me really translated into energy and focus that I really needed. I think especially when you're pursuing something creative, you know, nobody else is going to hold your feet to the fire to do no. that creative thing. <laughs> nobody was ever going to ask me to write a novel. Like I, I really had to, to do that myself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, even that decision to have kind of something, you know, make something important in your life, it doesn't mean you have to tell everybody. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, talk about it. You had, um, there was an author on the program on your podcast. I think it was Catherine Stedman, the author of 
something in the water. Yeah. And she had great advice, which I totally agree with, which is, you know, don't tell anybody what your big goal is, just do it. And I love that advice because there is such magic to kind of keeping something to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, you still have to very consciously protect it as a priority. Yeah. And how hard is that if you're, you know, a mother and have plenty to do? You know, you could easily fill your day every day, right? I mean, how hard is it to say, no, this is this is the hour when it's something, as you say, you're telling yourself to do and nobody is like setting deadlines for you. That's so hard. I think it is really hard. And you know, there's just so much, I think as a mother, there's so much competing for your time. And you almost, I think a lot of mothers sort of feel badly when they're not, their time is not used to give, to give to their children or to give to other people. It feels, you know, can feel selfish to kind of protect that time to make something important for yourself. But I do think it's a hard, hard thing to do. And I think it's, it is very much a privilege. But I do know that when I did it, I felt better about myself and I felt better about the day and I was able to kind of come back to, you know, whatever task was at hand as a mother and just be better at that because I had taken that time for myself and had, you know, made that other time a priority. So yeah, yeah, it always felt worth it. Yeah. And I love about you saying don't, you don't have to tell everybody because when you don't tell everybody, it kind of burns brighter in you, doesn't it? It's not, there's no energy wasted. It's all within you, I feel. I totally believe that. I think that is so true. I think that when you, I, yeah, it, it, there's something about kind of a goal feeling a little more exciting and a little more magical and a little more motivating if it lives within you because, yeah, yeah you sort of, I don't know. I, I always felt like that. I felt like if I talked about it too much, then the energy was no longer within me. It was sort of out there. Yeah, I, I sort of felt like it had more power if I just <laughs> kept it to myself. Absolutely. Your second piece of advice is similar, but I think it's really interesting. You say, do the thing you really want to do, which in your case was write the specific book that you ended up writing. Yes. Do the thing you really want to do. This was advice that I received from my partner and the context was the first draft of my book. So I, you know, as I had just mentioned, I, it started when I was, when my son was six months old and kind of wrote for the next, you know, couple years. And so I had been working on this draft of this book for a very long time. (laughs) And I finally got to the point where I thought, okay, I need to start sharing it for feedback because it had just lived, you know, inside me for so long. And so I had given it to him for feedback and and he's not a reader of this kind of book, which I, I thought would be a good thing because he would, you know, come to sort of a little more of an objective um, perspective. And so we went, we kind of, we actually went and sat down and had lunch together and we're sort of to go through the feedback. And of course he first delivered, you know, all the nice things that you're supposed to say to somebody first when they ask you for feedback <laughs> before kind of, um, before saying, you know, to be honest with you, this isn't exactly the book that you had been talking about writing for so long. His advice to me was, you know, you've been talking about writing a certain kind of book and this isn't it. And so what I think you should do is go back to the drawing board with the best of the best that is in this draft Mm -hmm. and scrap everything else that you've been added on top and just get to the heart of what you really want to talk about. And that is a very hard pill to swallow as a writer, as you can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that was a fun lunch. (laughs) No, it wasn't a fun lunch. That's actually, I guess, getting advice from your partner on your, you know, your first attempt at a novel is is bad, bad advice. But, but, but actually it did turn out to be sort of the best piece of practical advice that I'd ever received because Mm. I rewrote um, three quarters of that draft to focus on what I really wanted to write, which was motherhood at the heart of the book. 
And I think that that advice, you know, applies to so much in life. Like we often kind of dance around the thing that we really want to do or say or be because we're kind of scared to look at the thing that we, you know, really do want to face. And so I think a bit of that is kind of overcoming that sort of fear of failure or judgment. So yeah, that that's really my advice is to, you know, do the thing or focus on the thing that you really want to do, not everything around it. That's easier. But in giving up all that stuff that you found easier, that's a lot of time you've put into stuff like that. I mean, it's really hard to ditch it. I mean, is there anything from that that you could save or you could use again? Or was it literally three quarters going in the bin? <laughs> well, it sort of felt like three quarters going in the bin. <laughs> it's painful. There's no way around it. But uh, yeah. And then were you nervous when you had your next draft to give that out to people? Yeah, I was. But I think it was good experience to start to learn how to accept feedback, mm. which I wasn't that experienced at really. Like, I mean, I'd had work, I'd had a career for, you know, 10 plus years and worked in public relations. And yeah. I, you know, there's, there's, all, you're always getting feedback in your job and there's rejection in that job and all of that too. But it's very different because it's in such a different context and a different setting and it's not so personal. And of course, yeah. you know, something that is a creative output feels so personal. So yeah, I think my skin's probably getting thicker as I go. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Second novel, you won't be worrying at all. You'll be handing it out to everybody. <laughs> Your third piece of advice is that guilt is a wasted emotion. I love that because I think women especially need to learn and know that. So tell me about how it came to be in your your life. Sure. So this advice came to me from a dear friend who, um, in reference to parenting. Okay. And this is something that, you know, an older, wiser mother friend had told her and she was passing along to me. And it's just this idea that, you know, guilt will creep into our psyche all the time if we let it, you know, for a million reasons, you know, parenting, friendship, family, work, but I think especially parenting. And I think that, you know, most of the time that guilt does not serve us. You know, I know as a parent, I often have, you know, felt guilt about how much time I was spending with them. If I was enjoying that time that I was spending mm -hmm. with them about saying no to them or, you know, even about how we react you know, in challenging behavioral situations and then later wish we'd handled it differently or handled it better. There's certainly times I think in our life when guilt can, you know, show us maybe how we wish we'd behaved in certain mm -hmm. situations. I mean, it does have value that way, but, but really I think most of the time we just let it eat away at us. And it's hard to do, but whenever I feel that guilt and it just feels crummy, like it just doesn't feel good, I just, I always remember that piece of advice that, mm -hmm. you know, this emotion is not serving me. It is a wasted emotion. And there is something better that I can do right now that it's, you know, another emotion that I can tap into that is going to make this day better or going to be this, make this moment better. Yeah. And I wonder, do you find the guilt comes internally or do you feel like sometimes it comes from outside as well? Because I think there's a lot of both in life and motherhood, you know, social media, books, everyone telling us what we should be doing. What do you find? Uh. I totally agree with you. I think it, I think it comes from everywhere. I think it, some days it feels like it just comes at you from all angles. Mm. Um, you know, I can't imagine guilt being, you know, more pervasive than it is now. It's and it's exactly what you said. It's sort of that 
we're so plugged in right now. We're, we're all on social media, you know, and we're all, but there's a lot of good things about that. It enhances our life in many ways, but it also does kind of open up that comparison, you know, about, you know, what are they doing that I'm not doing that? And that, and guilt is kind of the natural reaction to that. Like I'm not being as good as them or as present as them. I don't have as, you know, nice a playroom set up as them. I, I mean, there's a million examples, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even just, even just this, you know, last month, December, kind of going through the holidays and, you know, it felt like, you know, my kids kept asking about seeing Santa Claus. And of course, there's like nowhere to see, you know, Santa Claus right now, because there's no, you know, malls open to go visit him or whatever. And, and I just hadn't got my act together to like, figure out, okay, is there like a zoom we can do with Santa? Is there like, what are the options available? And every day, I would see all my mom friends kind of, you know, these pictures of their kids on zoom with Santa and lining up all these things. And I just couldn't pull it together to make it happen. And every day, I felt guilty kind of looking at that and thinking I hadn't given them this wonderful holiday experience, which was just kind of, you know, yeah. So it's it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. And from the outside, you think, oh, what does that matter? But it can really eat you up. And as well as helping you, not acting on guilt helps in the way you react with your kids as well and and, and shows them a better way of processing their own emotions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I think that guilt can kind of be one of those things that I think like we can sort of lean on like to influence behavior, right? Like you're going to feel bad if you don't do this or you know, you're going to regret this if you don't. And guilt is one of those things too that we can that we sort of tend to kind of pull out um to guilt trip somebody. I mean, we all know how to guilt trip people. Yeah. <laughs> we've all done it and we've all been guilt tripped. And so, you know, and I think that that really you know, our kids can pull guilt trips on us, but I think we can also do it to them too, to some certain extent. And so, yeah, it is just one of those emotions that, as I said, it's just does not serve us. No. Waste of time. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> Waste of time. Throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. We'll be back with more from Ashley after this. We're here with Ashley and I want you to go into your fourth piece of advice because I love this phrase. Tell us what it is. Sure. So this is water the flowers and ignore the weeds. Mm. This is really the only expert parenting advice that I've ever taken <laughs> that's ever spoken to me. And it probably is, you know, the only one I ever will. But, you know, it's really the idea that we should try our best to focus on the good and ignore the junk. You know, the idea of kind of watering the flowers is, you know, to praise and reward positive behavior, big and small even on a bad day, regardless of how challenging all the negative behavior around it is. Mm. An example of this is the other day, you know, we were having a disastrous dinner time. <laughs> and with, I have two kids, one is three and one is five and a half. And I just thought, okay, I've got to rein this in. I've got to focus on the positive. I've got to water the flowers in this situation. And the only, you know, positive thing I could think to say to my daughter was, well, I, I love the way you're holding your fork. And I mean, <laughs> ridiculous. But of course, she's, of course, her reaction was, oh, thank you. you know, oh, and then yeah. she wanted to hold her fork even nicer. And then she wanted to, you know, eat her dinner nicely. And then she had a smile on her face. And I mean, it's those simple, mm. simple things. Um Ignoring the weeds is, you know, obviously what it sounds like to completely ignore the inconsequential bad behaviors yeah. as hard as this is to do. And this is so hard. I mean, you'll know this with a little one too, but an example of an inconsequential bad behavior that is better to ignore would be, you know, throwing a toy across the room, not, you know, not at somebody, just kind of throwing the toy in a moment of frustration. It mm -hmm. is so difficult not to reprimand that and, you know, yeah. tell them they can't throw their toys and get upset. And I still find it hard to let it go. But when you do let it go, it helps to kind of reinforce the behavior 
that you want, you know, let that go and find something positive to comment on. And it reinforces the behavior that you want to see in them. You know, kids really respond to really wherever we're putting our energy or, or my kids do. That's what I have found in my situation. Yeah. And I think as well with these parenting things that work, they work with the rest of life too. So especially this year, the last year, this year, everything going on in the world, it can be really hard to just focus on 2020 was awful. This is awful. Everything's terrible. Whereas the days when you can find a bright spot are better, aren't they? Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, that I think this advice really extends to all kinds of, you know, other parts of life to, you know, our relationships, our friendships, you know, work, um, but you're absolutely right. I think it's like looking for those little points in the day that we can put our focus our energy on. Um, your fifth piece of advice, I'm just laughing because I know the story behind this, but you say it came <laughs> to you at like a wellness retreat. So share the story and the piece of advice. Sure. So the piece of advice is you can do this because you are doing this. Mm. And the story here is that I was at, you know, one of those wellness spa retreats and I went there with, you know, a very dear friend. It was January. We wanted this fresh start. We wanted to, you know, we did all the wellness classes and all the, you know, it was, it was one of those kinds of places. And they had, I decided to do one of those challenges where you climb up a very tall pole and then you have to walk across a super high tightrope to another pool where you can right. then get down. I don't know why I decided to do it, but I thought, okay, I'm going to end the trip by doing this challenge and I'll feel so good and I'll feel so proud of myself. And it'll be like, you know, that's obviously what they're designed to do. <laughs> um, so I thought I could do it. And I actually did think I thought I would be okay at it. I, I'm not like particularly scared of heights. Mm-hmm. So I got up there, up the pool. Before I even got to the top of the pool where the wire was, my legs were numb. Like I couldn't, yeah. I just was just that terrifying feeling of, you know, being up somewhere high on this, this tiny little rope. And so I had taken a few steps and I sort of was like, you know, a quarter of the way through and I just, I just was frozen and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see how I could get through the rest of this. And the instructor said to me at the bottom, what can you tell yourself right now to get through this? And without thinking, I said to myself exactly that piece of advice that, okay, you can do this because you are doing this. I was already up there. I was already doing it. I had already taken four or five steps. I'd committed to doing it. I was in the middle of it. And so I just kept repeating that phrase to myself over and over until I got across the wire. And I think that that phrase came to me in hindsight because I had said that exact same thing to myself during some very hard days with my son when he was first born and he was in the hospital for months. And those, you know, obviously that was a very difficult time where, you know, we were in the hospital with him. He was, you know, admitted when he was two weeks old. Um, He had was diagnosed with an illness and those were tough days. That is what I had said to myself then. And it's exactly what came back to me up on that wire. And I had, I've since then really shared that advice a lot because I think when we are going through something hard in our life, you know, a divorce, grieving, um, going through an illness, you know, I think it's very easy to start to doubt ourselves that we, you know, we dealt 
that we can handle it or that we're going to be able to make it through, you know, even when there's really no other option. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that case, I was already on the wire. <laughs> like yeah. I, I had to do it. And, you know, in the case of my son, you know, being in the hospital, I would never have left that hospital without him there. I mean, I would never have given up on being there by his side 24 seven, but I still had that, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this in my head. And so I think sometimes it can be so helpful to really kind of step back, you know, and acknowledge that we're already making it through, whether that's hour by hour or day by day or step by step or, you know, however that looks um, in those situations, we are already doing it. And Mm. we just kind of need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of life nowadays, there's a lot of like motivational quotes about look forward and plan and set your agendas and put things out into the universe. But sometimes looking more than two seconds ahead of yourself is just too hard, isn't it? And it is about being in the moment and just keeping going. Absolutely. I know. I totally agree with that. It's like we're, we're, our minds are racing these days, I find, you know, I don't know if you find that, but I just find it's like, it is just this race to kind of get through, get through, get to the next thing, kind of like everything's very, you know, achievement oriented and what are you going to do next? And sort of we're, we're just, we're just, yeah, we're so scheduled and busy. And actually I think that's part of, you know, pandemic life has been very good for that, hasn't it? To just sort of get us to slow down and think, well, we don't know what next month's going to look like, but we know what today is going to look like. And so how do we get through today and not worry about, you know, when is lockdown going to be lifted and when are, when are things going to change? Like this is very much just about the day that's in front of us and getting through it the best we can. Yeah. I love this piece of advice because this is something, this is very minor. So this goes from macro to minor. But um, I love this advice because when I'm doing my runs, you do like these motivational runs and they talk to you in your ears. They always just say, you think you're not a runner, but you are a runner because you're running. And it's like about that idea of just keep going and think about it at the end. And then at the end, you realize what you've done, right? So you just oh, I love that. someone to say, you're doing it. Don't think about it. Don't think. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I don't, I don't, I, um, I don't run and I wish I did. And so maybe that's what I, maybe I need to take my own advice when I'm running. That's great. I love yeah. that. Start yeah. and then just keep repeating that over to yourself. You'll be fine. Some music. <laughs> uh, your great. sixth piece of advice comes from a different source, comes from Theodore Roosevelt. Can you share that? <laughs> yes. This quote, um, I don't know if you've had this quote on the podcast before, but the advice is that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such good advice for new moms, I think, especially those who have a child with any kind of challenge to overcome. Our son, so as I had mentioned, our son was mm. ill when he was first born. And our our son's doctor gave us the most wonderful analogy when he was in the, in the hospital. And she said to us, you know, most children are dandelions. They'll grow you know, without any attention at all. They will thrive without any attention. They're going to they're gonna grow. They're going to do well. But your son is an orchid. He will thrive, but he will thrive with special care. In other words, you know, he would do just as well as all those other children, but getting him there would look differently. And I thought there was just so much beauty in that mm-hmm. visual of him being an orchid and not trying to compare him to the dandelions, you yeah. know, the, the other children. And I just, I, I think, you know, we can't help but compare our life to others, you know, our kids, ourselves, our jobs, our marriages, um, you know, there's so much in life to compare. Um, but, you know, and we all know this to be true, but it really does pull away from the joy that's right in front of you if you let it. And I just think that that this phrase that comparison is the thief of joy. It's just it's such a wonderful reminder of that. Because I guess as well, when you were in the hospital with your son, you had enough to worry about. And yet comparison was also creeping in, which is, you know, 
not a helpful emotion. You've got enough on your plate, you know. Exactly. There's so there's this, you know, you, you're sort of comparing your experience and comparing your child and comparing mm-hmm. like, you know, down to like the details of like, they're not eating and other kids are eating. They're not gaining weight and other kids are gaining weight. And I let myself get kind of so caught up in some of that, that, you know, it does, if you let it, it can steal from the joyful moments of, there's still a baby. They're still, yeah. you know, smiling at you. There's still, you still snuggling. Like there's all that joy right in front of you. And if you're just thinking about all the things that, you know, you're comparing constantly, it just, it, ta- it just really takes away from that. So, so quickly. Um, and I, I love the use of the word thief in that sentence because, you know, it really, it, it, you're owed that joy. Like that joy is yours. That is your joy to have. And you, you deserve it. It is yours. And you're really just letting that comparison steal it. And you, you talked about your son earlier, said he's, you know, five and a half now. Is he, is he well? And, and he overcame his challenges. Oh, thank you for asking. Yes, he's, he is thriving and well and absolutely incredible. Yeah. You would never know that he had such a rough start to life. <laughs> You've also referenced starting writing when he was six months old. I mean, that's that's a lot to t- to take on. It was a lot, and looking back, I think, God, like, how, why, why did I, why did I do that at that time? But I think around six months, I was really starting to kind of find my footing again after sort of time in the hospital and kind of that rough start. You know, he was doing a bit better, and it was it was a time when I I think I sort of realized, okay, like. I am not who I was before. I am not, you know, I, motherhood has changed me. This experience has changed me. And now, you know, I have this, I just saw things differently. I saw myself differently. And it sort of felt to me like you give so much as a parent. And I really wanted to be so conscious of what I had left. Like, you know, with that brain power, those hours, that time, like, you know, the energy that I had left, like, what did I want to do with that? You know, and how did I want that to look in my life and how did I want to show up in life now and so yeah there was something about that mark of time that six month mark that just really I don't know felt I felt it I was exhausted but it, I was inspired at the same time in a good way yeah yeah so we like to finish the podcast with you sharing the worst piece of advice uh, you've ever been given because often it it reveals something too so tell me what that is sure um so my the worst piece of advice that I've ever been given um is stick it out. When somebody tells us to stick it out, you know, they are usually telling us to stay in a situation that we have committed to that is no longer serving us. And that is the reason we want out. (laughs) And, you know, an example might be, you know, a job that we have taken that turned out to not be something that we liked anymore, or that was serving us in any way, a decision maybe about where we went, you know, where a program or a university we have chosen, you know, as a young adult that we feel like we are committed to, then there is this sense that if we stick something out, we are strong. And if we don't stick it out, we are weak. And I think that is a very dangerous message, you know, especially for young women who have so much pressure in life already to please and to oblige. You know, I think that there are just better ways that we can teach our children and ourselves to build resilience or responsibility. And that kind of goes along with another you know, piece of great advice, which is to disappoint others before you disappoint yourself. And, you know, that idea of, um, you know, like just really being true to ourselves and that's, you know, sticking it out. You know, nobody really gives you a medal at the end of that. And I think it's really a gift to ultimately show children, you know, how it can really feel to like listen to what they need, you know, and ultimately how how it feels to take care of themselves. Thank you, Ashley. I love that. And I've never really thought about it that way either, because I think, you know, it's so easy sometimes, isn't it? To And it's hard to distinguish what you should stick out and what you shouldn't 
you know, you don't want to encourage flakiness, I guess. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be like, oh, you don't have to stick out finishing your broccoli, you know? Yeah. It's, it's drawing those lines with what, and I guess what is causing real upset and what is just can't be bothered today. I think so. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion around this idea of resilience. Like, you know, we need to build resilience in kids and, you know, we need to show them what resilience is. And of course we do. But, you know, I think we need to just take a look at like how people are feeling. Like, what is the emotion behind, like, what are they, what are people really feeling? Like, is this a moment to build resilience and teach, you know, ourselves or our kids about, finishing something they've started or, you know, committing, like there, of course there's a time and a place for that. But I think that, you know, when we really feel like sticking it out is not going to serve us or it's, you know, causing us emotional harm, like we have to give ourselves permission to walk away from something, you know, and and teach our kids how to do that too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on Grazia Life Advice. There's so many good pieces of advice that I've loved talking to. Oh, thank you. This has just been so fun. It was my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's been so great to have author Ashley Audrain on Grazia Life Advice, a great way to kick off the new series. Coming up, we've got Radio One's Annie Mack, journalist and TV host Kate Thornton, and another presenter, Edith Bowman, whose own podcast, Soundtracking, is well worth a listen. Music is such a big part of the world of film, both in terms of when they play a track that you recognise or a beautiful piece of score that can make you feel in a way that you never expected to feel. So I didn't think there was a conversation being had about that, so I wanted to start one. And that's why I launched Soundtracking. So I speak to all different types of people from the world of film and music sometimes about their relationship with music, both in terms of the films they make, but also the films and the music that they love. Thanks for being with us. And don't forget, our next Grazia Life Advice will be in your podcast feed, not next Friday, but in two weeks' time. See you then.